Bokertov, Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. Glad to be back in the proverbial saddle uh, for uh, all of you and all myself. And it's just been a blessing to uh, be here. Uh, this is going to be a good week. It's going to be a very, very, very good week. And it's going to be a joyful week. And it's going to be a wonderful time together as we are spending some time uh, in Hashem's Word and um, just having a joyful experience. It was a wonderful Shabbat. And so glad that everybody is with me today as we are diving into the parasha of Haye Sarah. Haye Sarah. You know, I don't know how, I really don't know how anybody... Um, could possibly hope to understand uh, the Bible in general. <clears throat> um, the uh, the teachings of Messiah in particular, without understanding, reading, paying attention to um, you know Jewish literature. This is why we. Uh, encourage people to acquire sources and to learn and to grow. At the same time, we caution everybody to, uh, um, you know, to grow at a pace. Don't try to uh, take the fire hose and don't, don't try to drink from a fire hose. You know, drink, drink from a fountain, drink from a, uh, a garden hose, if you will, uh, but don't try to drink uh, from a fire hose. It's uh, uh, really challenging when that happens. And so, <laughs> but there's so much of Jewish literature. I was just looking over some things uh, that uh, got left behind in our discussion of, um, uh, of the, the Akedah yesterday. I mean, I, I could have spent another, probably at least another hour, maybe even two hours, uh, talking about the Akedah and elements about the Akedah. And it's just amazing how rich and how uh, just how full uh, ancient Jewish literature is. And it just seems like, you know, we're never never, never able to, to get there, but we're going to try to. This is the parasha Haye Sarah, which is meaning in Hebrew, the life of Sarah. Um, but... It's interesting because it speaks about the death uh, uh, of Sarah. So that is uh, somewhat of an interesting phenomenon, the life of Sarah, the death of Sarah. And of course, we're going to learn uh, what that means as far as looking at Sarah's life and how the life of the righteous is uh, what matters the most, Baruch Hashem. So the Chaye Sarah Parasha begins in chapter 23 of the book of Breshit. Now, this is just after um, the sacrifice of, um, of Isaac on the altar. So Sarah is being offered or excuse me, uh, Isaac, rather, has been offered uh, as a sacrifice, and Sarah finds out about it and uh, passes away. That is the general idea, which we'll come to in a minute. 
But this is after the, the, the offering of Isaac. And this is how we know that Isaac, when he was offered on the altar, was not a little boy. And I think, to me, uh, most people uh, uh, don't understand that. I remember uh, a while back, I think I've told you this before, but there was a while back I was listening to one of those Bibles on CD. Uh, and it was the story of Hagar when she was kicked out of, when Sarah basically kicked her out, or she ran away, or whatever, what, anyway, the point was, she was leaving. And um, she put Ishmael under a tree because he was seemingly dying of thirst. And then she went off and she prayed to Hashem and uh, was asking Hashem to help her because she didn't want to see her son. She didn't want to see the, quote, boy die. Uh, and, of course, naturally, this was put out by a Christian uh, group. And I find it... Uh, somewhat comical, a little funny, that in the, is one of those uh, Bibles on CD where it's dramatized, and in the background you can hear the cry of a little infant baby, like like still in the crib, you know, wah, 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 like a little bitty, you know, um, <laughs> infant. What's funny about that is at the time, Ishmael was 13, and so, uh, we don't, people just miss this kind of thing. And if you think about the Akidah, most people think that Isaac was a, a little boy, or, or at least he was uh, maybe school age. Perhaps he was elementary age or, or middle school. They, they don't think of him as a, as a full-grown man. That changes the story completely. Changes the story. First of all, a, a a father Abraham dragging his ten, let's just let's just say ten year old dragging his ten year old to be a sacrifice uh, is pretty demented. Okay, uh, can anybody say child abuse? Uh, I mean that's if you really think about it, uh, that's that's pretty bad. Okay. But it completely changes things when we understand that, you know, Abraham is 130-something, 137 or 36, and uh, uh, thereabouts, maybe even older, and his son, Isaac, is 37. So Isaac could have easily overpowered his father and prevented this whole thing. And so when you read the story and you understand that, that Isaac was uh, a full-grown man, a full-grown adult, that uh, we understand that Isaac willingly laid down his life. No one took it from him, right? No one took his life. He laid it down, okay, on the altar, willingly. He willingly submitted to his father. And so it ch completely changes the dialogue. And it becomes a test, not just for uh, I, uh, Abraham, but now it's a test for Isaac. It was Isaac's test too, in as much as it was Abraham's test. Because on the one hand, Abraham stands to lose his heritage. On the other hand, Isaac stands to lose his life. And he was willing to do so. 
which is remarkable in and of itself. There's a lot I could say about just the whole mindset that on the one hand we say, well, Judaism absolutely doesn't believe in human sacrifice, and it doesn't, except when it does. Um, but here we have the father of the faith who understood that human sacrifice was completely pagan. The Torah was known to Abraham, by the way. The Torah did not come at a certain time in history, and it was like, oh gosh, we didn't realize about kosher eating. We didn't realize about this, that, or the other. No, the Torah has been around uh, since before creation. Abraham was aware of it, and Abraham practiced Torah. So Abraham knew the Torah. He knew the oral Torah. He knew it all, okay? And yet, when God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, he did not say what Peter said. What are you talking about, Rabbi? Well, when God told Peter, I want you to rise up and kill these unclean things, these unclean animals and snakes and whatever, and I want you to eat it. Peter said, uh, no. Now, it wasn't because Peter was stubborn, and it wasn't because Kepha was uh, ignorant. No, not at all. Kepha was brilliant. Kepha knew the Torah better than we could ever hope to know the Torah. Kepha was a practitioner of Torah. He was an Orthodox Jew. He was a Pharisee, 100% Pharisee. Which is why, by the way, Kepha and Yochanan went to the temple to pray when the man was healed at Gate Beautiful because he's a Pharisee. That's what Pharisees did. Sadducees didn't do that. But I digress. But anyway, the reason he said no is because he was tested before when he was asked, aren't you this man's disciple? And he said no. He lied. He did, he, he did the wrong thing. So Kepha's, this is, you know, some say 15 years later. 15 years later, Kepha's like, that's right, Rebetzin. Kepha's like, I'm being tested again. I'm being tested again. And the test is, I'm having this beautiful vision, and I know it's from Hashem. And Hashem has asked me to do something that I know is completely and utterly contrary to His Word. Completely and utterly contrary to His Word. I know it. It's written down. I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to ask about it. It's the Word of the living God. Two whole chapters, in fact. And so Kepha says, mm -mm, no, I've never eaten anything unclean or impure. That means I've never eaten anything that was biblically prohibited, nor have I eaten anything that was rabbinically prohibited by the oral law. That's what that means. Actually, it's a euphemism for that. So this is one clue, by the way, if you understand, this is why rabbinic literature is so important. When you understand these things, you understand then that Kepha was 100% a Pharisee because he said, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. We read that and we're like, yeah, impure, unclean, kind of the same thing. No, not the same thing. That's written Torah, oral Torah. That's what, that's what that means. But you wouldn't know that if you don't read Rabbinic literature, right? Which is why you're here and, and you're welcome. So we know now that Kepha's is 100% Pharisee. He's a completely on board with the oral Torah. And he's telling God, you need to understand this. K 
Kepha is telling God no. That's huge. Remember, Kepha is not some imbecile, as is so often taught in pulpits. He's not some nincompoop. He's not some radical, rash 10-year-old. Kepha is the leader chosen by Messiah, and he doesn't make mistakes, to lead the Lapid community 2,000 years ago. He is the man, El Jefe, La Capitan. He is the guy, okay? Nothing happens. Paul can do nothing unless Kepha gives him the thumbs up, which is why Paul went to talk to Kepha when he got his vision. Because Paul, Kepha could have shut him down in a heartbeat. So God is talking to Kepha and Kepha is saying, hey, I want, I want you to kill this uh, snake. I want you to kill this uh, lobster, this pig. I want you to eat it. And Kepha says, uh, God, love you, but no. He tells him this three times, and each of the three times, Kepha says, nope. That's huge. But notice that when Abraham is told by God once, sacrifice your son, Abraham does not say no. Now, Abraham knows that the Torah does not allow human sacrifice. He does not allow human sacrifice. So how is it that Abraham didn't say no like Kepha said no? Because Kepha, the reason Kepha said no is Kepha says, God, your own word says we're not to eat this stuff. And Messiah never said it was okay, which is why I'm still eating kosher. And now I'm hungry, which is why I'm on the roof waiting for lunch downstairs. And I've, I've fallen into a trance. And now I'm being tempted by the Yetzirah, I believe, to eat this stuff. And I'm saying, no, I will pass the test. I failed the test a long time ago when I was asked these three questions. But I'm going to pass the test today. But Abraham doesn't do that. Why? Because Abraham knew that at some point, there had to be someone who was going to come along and undo what Adam did, and it was going to require the shedding of blood. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not my opinion. That's actually brought down in rabbinic commentaries. That Abraham knew that there was going to have to be a child of promise, not necessarily a child, literally, understand, but there was going to have to be someone who would come along and die for the sins of Israel in order to undo what Adam did, which is why Abraham did not say no. That is huge. There's actually a long article about this that I have saved in my notes and which I commented on where it says that very thing. Abraham and Isaac knew that this was going to undo the sin of Adam. And they were disappointed when the, the ram was substituted because they, they understood at that time that it was soon but not yet. That the sin of Adam was still left un, to be undone. And that, my friends, would happen when Messiah Yeshua would come along. Now, 
just a real quick thing, because I didn't get the chance yesterday to get into the um, the Ram that ran story. Um, because the Ram that was caught in the thicket, and by the way, the sources such as the Book of Yasher and the Legends of the Jews teach that the Satan is the one who caught the Ram by the thicket. Now, the thicket is a thorn bush, so the Ram is caught up by its horns in a... Uh, crown of thorns. Okay, and it was the Satan who did this to try to prevent the ram from getting to I uh, Abraham, because uh, the ram wanted to be the substitute. The ram was a unique ram, a special ram created uh, since before the foundation of, of of the world. In fact, it was two. The, the ram was created according to. The sources was created 2,000 years before creation. Now, Tom Brenner had a beautiful uh, thought that I, frankly, had not thought of. And he said, you know, this had to be a special ram. It couldn't have been just any old ram. Why? Well, because the ram that's offered in place of Isaac had to be spotless. It had to be perfect, without blemish. And that's a huge insight. Wow, I never even thought about that, but that's true. Um, but there's another insight I was t- mentioning to Tom <clears throat> that I, that I uh, would have to go back and find. But basically it said this, that the Satan, some people say, well, why do we need Yeshua then? I mean, really, we have the ram, the ram is Yeshua. I mean, really... The first shofar that was blown in Mount Sinai was the left horn of that ram. The last shofar, may it be soon in our day, that will be sounded when the shiat come is going to be the right hand of that, right horn rather, of that ram. Um, the ram and Isaac, basically the ram was slain, but God considered it as if Isaac were slain. This is why when the Jews came back from Babylon and they were trying to find where the altar should be placed, they found it because they found the ashes of Isaac. But wait, Isaac wasn't offered, but yet he was, but he wasn't. But it was the ram, you see. But the ram was considered as Isaac. This is why when Mashiach dies, we're considered as if we died, even though it wasn't us, but it was him. But it's considered our ashes, not his. But anyway, I digress. So, um, I was telling Tom that that this insight said that the, the Satan came before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he protested. See, the Satan is not all intelligent, ladies and gentlemen. He's Don't underestimate him. But he's not all powerful and all wise. And a lot of times, he will undo himself. And so he tells God, I got you. This ain't fair. Why is it not fair? Because there's a halacha. You can substitute your offering, yes. So if you have an offering, if you've designated something to be offered, you can substitute something else for it. You can, you can say, you know what, I'm not going to offer this animal. I'm going to offer a substitute in place of this animal. Okay? Okay? However, the Satan said to Hashem, the substitute must be of equal or greater power, uh, 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 value. 
equal or greater value. And a ram is not equal to Isaac. The value of a ram is not equal to the son of promise. So therefore, the ram that was offered in place of Isaac is not a proper substitute. So, doesn't count. So this is why Mashiach had to be offered because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said he has to replace Isaac with something of equal or greater value. So he gives himself, he gives Mashiach. This is the answer. So Sarah, there's a couple of things about Sarah. How did Sarah die? Well, some say, on one hand, that Sarah was told by the Satan, who disguised himself, and said that your son had been offered. So her spirit left her. There's an interesting insight I've read before that said that that, uh, Sarah's soul left her because she heard that Isaac was not offered. Meaning that her concern was that there was something wrong with her. I mean, she loves Isaac. Come on, you know, this is the child, her only child, you know, those kinds of things. But there was, she was concerned that there might have been something wrong with Isaac, that God had rejected the offering. And so that's an interesting insight. But the bottom line is, is and by the way, you know, inasmuch as in Judaism we do not believe in human sacrifice, that is true except when it's not, which is this case. As I said on Shabbat, if you think about it, talking about Sarah, like in this instance where Sarah was like, he wasn't offered and her her soul left her because she was concerned there might have been something wrong with him. In Judaism, it's an interesting dichotomy. There's lots of dichotomies within Judaism. It doesn't negate Judaism. it's It's an interesting mystery. Here's the mystery. The mystery is, on the one hand, we don't believe in human sacrifice. That's abhorrent in Judaism, which is one of the arguments that's made very often why Yeshua can't be an atonement. Yeshua can't be an atonement because God doesn't believe in, desire human sacrifice. And yet, at the same time, we say that Isaac was a human sacrifice. And some would say, yeah, he was, but not literally. But really, is that true? Because he was, in fact, literally offered. His soul did leave him and did return to him. Now, the blood wasn't spilled, but even still. But it's interesting because the entire sacrificial system of Judaism in the temple is all based on a human sacrifice. Not just that. The temple itself is based on a human sacrifice. In fact... The sages bring down that the altar, meaning the uh, the Kadosh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies, and the entire Temple Mount itself, Mount Moriah, is sanctified because of the offering of Isaac. So on the one hand, in Judaism, we don't believe in human sacrifice. And on the other hand, everything that we do that is re- revolves around the temple, re- the, everything that makes Mount Moriah holy, everything that makes the, the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies, all has to do with a human sacrifice.
Isn't that interesting? I mean, if you really think about it, it's interesting. Ahava may Hashem reach your friend and bring being a refua to their mind and heart. Bring it to Shuva, Bishim Yeshua, Father, for help of Lord God to return. Isn't so? Isn't this? It, I, I find all of this extraordinarily fascinating. So, um, where do we go from there? Let's. I tell you what. Let's look at Sarah's eternal teaching. This is an insight. Uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I feel like I'm a little scattered, but. One thing the Rebbe and I were talking about this morning is just re, re, going back over to me, which for me personally was a a, a, a really important uh, insight to consider, and that is the reason for a test. Now, life is a test; life itself is a test, and you have to understand if you're not being tested. And remember what the purpose what I was saying on Shabbat. Today's seemingly kind of a review of Shabbat, but whatever. Hopefully, it's okay. But um, remember the purpose of a test. The purpose of a test is to elevate us. That's, again, I mean, if you really, like I said on Shabbat, when you're in school, scholastically, you take a test so that you can go to the next level. That's the whole purpose. We oftentimes look at a test as punitive. But the teacher doesn't. It's not punitive to the teacher. The, the teacher is trying to get us to go to the next level. Okay? Now, nobody wants to go through a test. But the reality is life is a test. So when we read the Midrash Rabbah and look at the wisdom of the rabbis, we understand that God's testing like, what is it that he's really trying to get us to, to do, ultimately? And God's testing is ultimately to draw us near to him. And specifically, what, so what, does draw, what does draw us near to him mean? Because, you know, let's define that. That's important. What does it mean to draw near to God? I want to be close to you. What does it mean? It means to become reliant upon him. Reliant upon him. Reliant upon him. Now, we need to, and I know some of us do, most of you probably already do this, but what that means is you need to get into the habit. I should encourage you to get into the habit, let me put it this way. That when you're looking for something, you're looking for your keys, you're looking for a book, you know, this, I, I was looking for the, my book of Yasher, and I have, I have lots of books, and um, I don't have enough bookshelves for all my books, and so some of my books are kind of scattered about, and I have to kind of find them again, but anyway... So I was looking for the book of Yasher, and, and I, I knew there was a story in there I wanted to be able to read on Shabbat, and so I'm looking, and I looked at my big bookshelf, and I looked at my little bookshelf, and I looked at my medium bookshelf, and I walked around, and I'm like, oh my gosh, 
And so I was digging around, and I, and, and I thought, you know what? It's probably going to be in that one box that has, like, a few books in it. And so I went to that box, and sure enough, thank God it was there. And when I found it, I said, Todar Bashem for helping me find this. Now, my point is, is that I would encourage all of you to get into that habit. That when you're looking for something, you're trying to do, you're trying to, to bake a cake, or you're trying to do, or trying to pass a test, literal, a literal like scholastic test, or you're trying to do something at work that you put your utter reliance upon Hashem, I need your help to do this, to do that, to do whatever. That's what God wants of us, and in as much as we orientate our life towards that, that lessens the likelihood of a test. Now, sometimes tests come not because we're necessarily far from God or, or, or we're doing something bad. Sometimes tests just come because God needs to bring us to the next level. And in the case of Abraham, that's a whole nother level, okay? God tested Abraham to the degree that... Um, because this guy's going to be the father of the faith. I mean, come on. You're, you're not Abraham. I'm not Abraham. You're not Sarah. I'm not Sarah. Okay? You're not King David. I'm not King David. It's a whole nother level. But we can at least look at their lives and we can take lessons from them. And to the, to the extent that, to the mission that God's called us to, we can learn from King David. We can learn from Abraham. We can learn from Sarah how to pass the test. And the main thing, when you're taking a test, when God is taking you through a test, taking you through a trial, taking you through, through whatever, you just need to understand the reason he's doing this is so that I can depend upon him more and more and more. That's the reason. I have to trust in him for everything. So we'll, we'll wrap it up with this. Okay. This is an insight, and, I, and I, we've 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 we haven't scratched the surface of Kaye Sarah one and two, but that's just how life is, you know. We anyway. Here's Sarah's Sarah's eternal teaching. This is an insight as an introduction to Kaye Sarah. Such was the unique lesson of Sarah. It says here. Listen to this, that in all varieties of time and experience, one must maintain faith based on the conviction that all conditions are directed by God for the fulfillment of his ultimate will. So this was Sarah. This was Sarah's legacy to us. Sarah's legacy to us is, listen, everything is directed from Hashem and everything is for the fulfillment of his purpose in life. Originally, her name had been Sarai, literally my mistress, for she had been the dominant figure only to Abraham. But then a new dimension was added, both to her name and to her mission. She became Sarah, a name with the connotation that she was the spiritual mistress of all the world. But if Abraham had been elevated to the status of of Hamon Goyim, the father of the multitude of nations, and he was subservient to Sarai, for such was the import of her original name, then why was it necessary to rename her as well? 
The answer lies in the different characteristics of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham represents midat chesed, the midot of chesed, the midot of loving kindness, the attribute of kindness. In his life, all flowed from God's manifestation of kindness. Abraham was honored wherever he was. He was respected, respectfully dressed as Nisi Elohim, Prince of God. Even by the idolaters, accursed Canaanites of Heth and divine intervention spared him from living long enough to see Esau's descent in wickedness. Neither his descendants nor the world at large could learn from Abraham how to face dark moments, for he had none. But Sarah knew. She taught how to perfect time and how to recognize that every moment emanated from God in order that we might fill it with faith and service. Everything is from Hashem. This is what Sarah is teaching us. That even in the dark times, we can say, this God is the creator of light and he's the creator of darkness. And whenever it's dark, there's light even because God is there. It says, if only Abraham's way of life and faith was to serve as a model for all people, then the weak of spirit would not find the strength to cope with adversity. But Sarah... From her, we learn strength and constancy, no matter what the odds. That Sarah's great role, that was Sarah's great role in the development of mankind. So Sarah is the one who teaches us to stay strong, to go through adversity, to never quit, to never give up. To understand that all things are from Hashem. This is the strength of Sarah. And as we look at the life of Sarah, Chai Sarah, through this parashah, may God help us to develop that very godly and very important attribute. Sarah went through many tests, many trials. A godly woman. Very godly. But she understood that every test and everything that she went through was only so that she could draw nearer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which means to rely upon Him for everything. We have to be dependent upon Hashem for everything. For everything. And never for a moment think that this, whatever success we may be having or experiencing, is somehow due to our great prowess, intelligence, or even righteousness. It's not. It's all because of Hashem. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the real grace. A lot of people believe in grace, and they teach about grace, but really it's kind of a fake grace. Real grace is not believing God for the forgiveness of your sins. Real grace is understanding that Hashem is responsible for everything about you, good bad and indifferent. Think good and it will be good. Todah for being with me. I look forward to being with you tomorrow with God's help as we look at the third Aliyah and get more into the life of Chaye Sarah. Todah for being with me. May you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing day. It's going to be a good week. It's a week of good news and may God make it so. B'Shem Yeshua. Shalom Aleichem.